Hello and welcome to our podcast named Detours. This podcast embraces the unexpected twists and turns that shapes the journeys of our lives that God sends us down. I'm your host and fellow traveler, Mike. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Deb, and we invite you to join us on this exploration of uncharted territories we encounter along the way. So without further ado, let's dive into this episode. Welcome to episode number five of Detours. I am your host, Mike, and I'm here with my beautiful wife, Deb, as the intro said. Yes, hi. And we are here and we are ready to continue this journey uh, that is your testimonial of coming out of a second failed marriage. We've gone down the journey of healing. Healing is almost the secondary uh, theme for this year. If you will, we went through the stages of grief, and last week, or last episode, excuse me, we talked about forgiveness. Yes. Now, prior to recording the episode, we always get together and kind of have a powwow, what do we want to talk about, and so on and so forth, and we felt, by we I mean you, you felt that episode five, uh, it was most important to start talking about an important part of forgiveness for you, which is something that's completely foreign to me, uh, which is journaling. Journaling became a big part of your process. So how were you introduced to journaling? Were you always a writer? How did that start? Gosh, I don't know who, who I would have been had I not picked up a pen and paper in life and then eventually a keyboard and uh, laid it all out. I think Writing has been uh, a huge part of my healing journey and an integral part of that. I did always like to write as a kid, but um, I had a diary when I was a kid and my mother read it and um, pretended that it fell off my shelf. Really? That's (laughs) like an episode of Full House or something. Like, you can't make this up. I mean, she was just like, oh, it just opened to this page. Okay. So I really chose not to do any processing through journaling as a teenager it wasn't until later in life that I recognized this was a way to be able to process information. And and you said you always just kind of enjoyed writing, but it, it really became an integral part of mm-hmm. your forgiveness journey. So what was the inception of the idea of journaling as part of forgiveness? Well, even prior to getting to the point of journaling equaling healing for me even in my previous marriage when things had gotten so bad we couldn't talk to one another anymore we decided to write to one another because it was a way to be able to express ourselves in a way that allowed us to think before we speak you know when things get heated sometimes you say things out of feelings or emotions and um, they could be very hurtful so we were at a kind of a crossroad in our relationship we started writing back and forth Um, so that process kind of kicked off like, wow, this really helps me to process what I'm going through. And then when the divorce finalized and I did go and get some counsel, part of that, uh, life skills class that I had talked about in earlier episodes, a lot of it included writing and journaling about your family of origin and your life and your feelings. And so that really was the inception of using something like writing to help me heal and process. 
Yeah, that's that's it. Is it does it, it does help you process? Mm-hmm. It helps you think through all the emotions. Take out the in the moment feelings, mm-hmm. and leave in the no. These are the the big feelings that have merit to them. It's almost like a meditation. Yeah, it helps you to really. Um, the first process for me was always to purge. I think that was super healthy. Is to purge all of my emotions as raw and as real as they were and get them on paper because it was almost like a word vomit that I couldn't say to anybody else. And I'm talking about terrible, nasty things that I wanted to say and I couldn't say to anybody else because it would have been wrong, but it needed to come out of me. And so that's always the first process for me is the word vomit. So I have lots, and I know that's probably not the nicest thing to call it, but it's, you know, it is kind of like that purging. So Maybe it's an appropriate thing, but not the nicest way to title it. I have a lot of that in my um, collection of writing is just being able to process and then to go back in after prayer and ask the Lord, how much is this, how much of this is really valid, God? Like some of it I know is valid and some of it is just my own selfishness or my own anger. Um, And it's as if I can sit down with that letter with God, that first purge and kind of reflect with him. Yeah, and in our previous episode, we talked about feelings. Yeah. It sounds like maybe your first writing is just, I got to get all my feelings out. Yes. And then after prayer and meditation, sift through it to find the truths. Yep. If you will, you know, I don't know if this is urban legend or or not, but I, I once read a story about Abraham Lincoln as a politician, he would get so frustrated with other politicians that he would sit down and he would write them letters and he'd literally get everything exactly how he wanted it. And he would put it in the envelope and then he would write not sealed, not sent. And he would throw that letter in the garbage and all those feelings and all those things he wanted to say to that person just got written down so that he could get it off his chest and then it would go straight in the garbage. Again, I don't know. I, I definitely remember reading that. I don't know how much truth was in that. But the, the principle is there. Yeah. Right? You, you got to get those things off your chest. And then, yes, then you look at it through the lens of truth. Right. right? You take it against biblical scripture. You take it against, okay, this was in the heat of the moment. And it's also a an intimacy with Jesus that you get to have because he knows all the things that are inside you. It's almost as if you're now looking at it and he's showing you a mirror of what's inside you. And the word intimacy really means into me you see. And that is the relationship God wants with us. He wants us to know he sees into us. And despite all that he sees, he still loves us. And that's the part that's really remarkable to me. Because a lot of times when I look inward, I'm like, ooh, that's really not good. I don't like that part of me. Or that's that's even dark. Sometimes you look at it and you're like, wow, that's a really wrong thought. That's dark. And God goes, I see that. Let's talk about that. Let's open the word and talk about that. And so, yeah, it's it's an intimacy thing that happens, too, in the journaling process, in my experience. So... Do you ever journal about us? Oh, yeah. I have a husband file in my computer. Really? <laughs> yes. Can Believe you sh- me, you, you should be very thankful that it goes out on paper and not 
to you when I'm in the heat of, um, you know, being upset or we have a conflict. So yes. this is not a, this is not a Google doc you want to share permissions to with me? No. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. You it, should say thank you right now. Th- thank you. My love. Thank you from the deepest part of my heart. Thank you You're for welcome. not sharing that doc with me. Uh, but all, all kidding aside, you know, that, that is one of the wonderful things that I've always complimented you about in, in our marriage is you understand timing when it's appropriate to talk about something and because you've written things down and because you've had time with Jesus, whenever you say something, it is never, ever, ever out in left field. And so it's always, I always take it very seriously. So I I definitely appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, As a matter of fact, you've got a, a Devo plan being edited right now. Hopefully soon it will be out on you version uh, on marriage. Um, so that stay tuned. As soon as that gets released, we'll let everyone know. Yes. But let's let's come back to journaling. So what what was what was the first thing you journaled about? Do you remember? Like from from a from a forgiveness perspective, sticking on that topic from last episode, it, it was part of life skills. You said yes. Okay. So uh, I think the very first letter I wrote um, was to my uh, my first abuser. Okay. Um, and then the letters just kept pouring out of me. Like I could not write them as fat. Once the floodgate was opened, I could not stop writing. And I think a lot of times I sat down and I'm like, wow, 25 minutes have gone by. And I, I literally, I'm not a fast typer, but things would just, it would pour out of me. I think it was a Holy Spirit experience. And so once I started with that letter, um, I recognize, wow, there's a lot of letters that need to be written. A lot. Let me get going. Mike, uh, Michael, my ex-husband, was pretty much one of the last letters I wrote in my journey of forgiveness journaling. Because it took, it took a while to process through everything that had happened. And there was a lot of other things that needed to be forgiven first for me to recognize some of the downfalls in our marriage. Because the letter is not just, you've done these things to me. I've done these things too. And because my thinking was wrong, therefore I saw things the way that I saw them. So the letter is, um, you know, a forgiveness letter of the things that have happened, but also an acknowledgement of some of the way I thought and how, how wounded I was in that marriage. So it, it needed some other letters before I got to this one. So this is introduced to you, this idea is, is introduced to you in life skills. Yeah. Now, it, are they asking you to write this as if you were going to send it? All these letters, did they tell you, hey, you need to send some of these letters? No. Or is this just for you behind closed doors? This is an exercise. This is an exercise. I did actually send a few letters. Um, you know, that wasn't required, but I did send a few letters and some that, you know, sit in a drawer in this house today that are still in an envelope. So yes, it was more of the process of, um, the journaling than it was that you were going to send out these letters. It was not even for reconciliation's sake. It was simply to be able to process through the pain and the hurt and even, it wasn't required for you to forgive in the letter. But 
it got to the point where I could see where forgiveness would, you know, would eventually be the end goal. And so some letters were written more than once to get to the point where I felt like I could forgive. So it's just a really cool process. Yeah, and you've put a lot of these writings out on your website, debmarsalisi.com. Yeah. You've got a lot of your writings out there, a lot of your letters. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, now most of them, from what I remember, you know, reading all, uh, you know, all the all the items on your website, most of it does seem to revolve around healing. You do have some some uh, positive letters that are out there. Yeah, I have some poetry. I have some um, devotionals. I have um, some different things, but the letters are typically written as a process of healing, and those are a little bit more on the darker side because I've dealt with a lot of stuff. Well, you know, so many, what is the comedians, they, yeah. they process through humor. Mm-hmm. You know, you think of so many good songs that we've listened to. You and I were both children of the 90s, so yeah. your Alanis Morissette's and, <laughs> and all those where they were just processing through all of these things that have happened to them. And that's where the creative side comes out. So makes sense. It does. Makes sense. Helps you process. So you're going to get ready. In your, today's episode, you're going to be reading a letter that you wrote to your second husband. Right. What what is is this a farewell letter? Is this a forgiveness letter? What what's kind of the premise here? What was the thought process when when you decided you wanted to write a letter to Mike? What is your thought process? I need to say X number of things to him. I think the letter itself will speak to how I got to the point where I wrote the letter. Um, I wasn't initially going to send it. Um, but it needed to be written. I, I did actually wind up sending it. I found where you know his new address was, and I addressed it to both him and his new wife. Um, whether he got it or not, I don't know, and it really doesn't matter. I wasn't expecting anything in return. It was, it was an exercise, and one day I might come across this guy in the grocery store, and I just need to I need to be able to look them in the eye was the return address in the upper left corner of the letter in case he had anything to say back yes it was yes absolutely okay absolutely okay and and that's this, a good question do you I, think I would have just sent it in the like, yeah here, here just a stamp in the upper right corner no, and yeah no. mic drop here you go no that's no a, pun intended <laughs> Okay, so the return return label was on there in case he had anything he wanted to say back, but he and his uh, new wife, neither one of them had anything to say. But right. this that was just that that was not part of the process, the, the the processing of it anyway. Right, you don't have to send any letters. It's sure, really of course. for you. It's for you. It's between you and God. Um, and I would say, if the letter is going to cause more damage, then you would never. There would be no point in sending it. It's kind of like when you make amends in some of the 12-step programs. If the the amends is really going to hurt somebody, then it's not an amends. You know what I'm saying? Like sure. If it does more damage, then you're only getting it off your chest for your sake, not for anybody else's sake. And that wasn't the purpose of the letter. Gotcha. So is there anything that we need to know? Does the audience need to know before you get ready to read this? Or do you just kind of want to dive in? Well, uh, the letter does, I 
didn't call him Michael in the letter because I wanted to protect his name, but since Michael's a pretty common name, um, the, the wife's name, I didn't name her her real name. So, you know, if it comes back that we're talking and uh, her real name comes out at some point in later episodes, I just, when I wrote it, I, I, I'm i reading it and trying to just be respectful of their names. I It's no need to put their real names out there. So, yeah. Okay. That's probably it. Okay. So what what is the title of the writing? Once Upon a Divorce. <clears throat> All right. Well, are you ready for this? You know, I I think so. Every time I read it, even though it's been years, it, it's a very raw and real experience. And somehow it always makes me cry, even though I feel like it's long in the past and I feel a sense of peace about it. It just does. So... Uh, forgive me if I don't read every word uh, clearly. If I mess up, it's because, you know, sometimes you read something and it's emotional. So that's my disclaimer. <laughs> that's your disclaimer. All right. Yes. Well, no pressure. This is a, a yeah. somewhat lengthy letter. It is. It, it'll take the remainder of the episode, I think. Ish, yeah. We'll, Ish. We'll, we'll, sort of, we'll sort of, you know, bring things back together at the very end. But... Uh, I guess, yeah, take it away, once upon a divorce. Okay. Dedicated to the man that sent me on a journey of self-discovery. I woke up one morning to the strangest sense of heaviness on my heart, oblivious to the fact that it marked the exact day to the end of our decade-long relationship. This was the day our divorce was finalized. I was embarking on a new career adventure, one that would have never been possible married to you. And I needed to show proof of my legal name change. I went digging through my ever so messy filing cabinet to search for a folder labeled divorces. That's right, with a big blaring letter S at the end of the word. I swept past the first name change from Roth to Marcelisi to come across the second name change. There it was in bold letters, final judgment of simplified dissolution of marriage, stamped June 5th, 2012. Simplified. The word seemed to be dripping with cruelty. It was not simple. Nothing about the marriage was simple, and equally nothing about the changing tide of our marriage that led us to that Broward County courtroom was simple. I have chosen for the last six years to hold on to the toxic belief that Marco DiCarlo took the best years of my life. He took them and he tossed them aside, my 20s and the milestone into my 30s. That belief gives you so much power, and it's a total lie. A lie that has kept me guarded and mistrusting and protecting the depths of my soul. I have chosen to carry that toxic belief with me like a banner of failure. And now I take responsibility for it in order to be fully healed and to move on. Marco DiCarlo, many times you were the source of my greatest joy and my deepest, most gut-wrenching pain. The promise was to love each other for better or worse, to love each other till death parted us. To me, giving my life over to Christ was my best. To you, it was my worst. Things you echoed you wanted most in our marriage, 
for me to have more fun with the kids, to engage with your family more, to gladly take better care of our house. Through Jesus, you were abundantly blessed with those very requests. He gave you those things you claimed you desired the most because he wanted to pour out his love to you through me. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. He obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 18.22 My heart still breaks for you, that you squandered your blessing and the blessing for your family. You were so concerned with who you weren't getting, your dirty little party girl, that you didn't recognize standing before you was a new, redeemed woman of God that would have satisfied the depths of your own hungry soul, which really only Jesus can do that. (laughs) I would have championed your greatness. I would have celebrated your biggest spiritual victories. You were getting substance, submission, honor, and respectfulness. I could hear your voice like it was yesterday, crying out in anguish. Where's my Deb? I remember the sadness in your voice, and it broke my heart. The look on your face is forever chiseled in my memory. When I told you she died in a watery grave when I got baptized, and you missed the funeral. Marco, you weep for the shell of the woman that shared a bar stool next to you. You were a man that had a way of safely barricading yourself into rigid routines, and you realized the tide of our lives together was on the verge of massive change, and you were frightened. You mourned for a lifestyle of partying you felt was slipping through your very hands. You wept for the walking dead. Unfortunately, like a true addict, you gave up a legacy of family bottle of Corona and a joint. It's not my job to make you happy, you screamed at me in a smoke-filled garage. At that time, that was so piercing, a statement that would have made even the strongest of wives cringe. It has taken a great deal of emotional healing in all areas of my life to recognize you were absolutely right. My heart was famished for significance and purpose, acceptance, and identity. Those were the things that I had been desperate for my whole life. I truly believe that this is the deepest longing of all humanity. You couldn't possibly provide that to me, nor could I provide that for myself. Only the bread of life Jesus can satisfy that kind of hunger. He has been able to provide this to me. My decade with you felt like a perpetual hamster wheel, going round and round trying to please you. And it was never enough. Because, like previously stated, you finally received all that you asked for, and it still wasn't good enough. Praise God he thinks I'm good enough. Worthy of love, valuable enough not to forsake. I wanted nothing more but to share the enormous, overwhelming joy I felt from his touch, to share the glory of his transformation of my life. See, Marco, I thought we were so intimate, so close, because we shared an incredible sex life, but the truth was, you never, I never let you truly know me. 
completely and utterly exposed with all my hurts and all my wounds. As my husband, you never really knew me. I'm just getting to know me for the beautiful soul I truly am, instead of an object of desire. You paraded me on your arm like your greatest conquest. You felt like a man when others would say to you, how did a guy like you get a girl like that? You never got me because I never really allowed you into the depths of my heart. You got an imitation of me. So great was my wall of protection that not even the bravest warrior could have ever scaled it. Oh, but Jesus did. I'm so immensely grateful I have been able to learn and to love the most vulnerable parts of myself in the safety of my Savior's arms. What you don't know about me is I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse by a family friend at the age of seven. And then in my early 20s, I survived a rape at work on my lunch hour. I allowed these experiences to birth in me a deep shame and a raging anger and a fortress around my heart and a hatred for my body. The act of being sexualized during the age of innocence created a fixation with sex and sensuality, viewing myself as an object to be used. I was feeding into one of many deeply rooted lies that I chose to carry. A lie that said I was insignificant. You even acknowledged and remarked when we were newly dating how I prioritized being sexy over everything else simply by the way I arranged my shoes on the shoe rack. The sexy ones absolutely had to go on top. This spoke to my direct and toxic correlation between sex and self-worth. What I have come to learn is you were part of a larger pattern. You are just another piece to my epic story of self-destruction. I must have inadvertently been on a mission to fall for a man that would ultimately treat me exactly how I felt about myself. You were not my first puzzle piece, but by the grace of God and his wisdom, you will be my last destructive piece. God is creating a beautiful new tapestry for me. The Lord has been helping me recognize and break generational patterns. And if we're truly honest, we all have patterns. Relationships have a 10-year expiration, seems to be yours. The whirlwind of memories reminds me that I was never safe with you, not emotionally and not physically. You had proven that when threats of violence came hurling out of your gritted teeth. I look back on that night in the garage when you flung a chair across the room and came charging at me, and I'm so eternally grateful for the both of us that I took my son and left that night before the threats became a reality. In that moment, I believed I was really more terrified of me than I was of you. Images that invaded my mind were so graphic. I couldn't let you unleash the brewing rage that was always just teeming directly under the surface my whole life. In no way do I condone crimes of passion, but 
I can wrap my brain around how they could happen in the blink of an eye. And I was convinced that night would have ultimately led to bloodshed. I can now see that I was a codependent woman. I tried to be who you wanted me to be. If you were happy with me, then I was happy with me. My self-worth had no anchor. It vacillated. The codependency, the striving for significance, and the acceptance came from wounding. You were such a master communicator. You wielded your skill like a carving knife to manipulate. You cast blame and burden on me. So you wouldn't have to take any responsibility for anything. You had an amazing way of convincing me all that was wrong in our relationship was either the way I viewed it or it was just plainly my fault. Ultimately, Marco was right and Deb was wrong. And in some cases, I was wrong, really wrong. And the circumstances were definitely being viewed through a distorted lens of past hurts. But more times than I'd like, but more times than not, I took ownership of things that rightly belong to you. Do you realize I only received one actual I'm sorry in our entire marriage? And that only came after I pled with you to remove drugs from our home. You plainly and boldly told me a direct lie. The drugs were gone and you were caught. As a matter of fact, I think you lied often. If you're anything like I remember, I believe you still comfort yourself with sweet lies to help you get through your daily mundane existence. Powerful and seducing is denial. Denial is the way we self-soothe, beckoning us into a false confidence. Some would best describe as arrogance. It was your grandest survival mechanism, and it was just as addicting as any drug. In our marriage, we were both wearing a mask. Even after the marriage ended, you held tightly onto the lie that you had not had an affair with Maria, because that would mean you'd have to come face to face with your own integrity. How sobering. You may indeed think it's sad that it has taken me six years to arrive at this point. But when you've had a lifelong habit of self-protecting and stuffing down vulnerable emotions since early childhood, it takes a very long time to deal with loss and pain and grief. I choose to break the pattern. I have been, I have uh, had a lengthy process to realize that vulnerability is an enormous act of courage. Research shows dealing with divorce is akin to dealing with a death. The Bible describes divorce as tearing asunder. In other words, ripping to shreds. The kind of grief that shakes you to the very core of your being and rattles the foundations of your hopes and dreams. I have learned that it's impossible to heal and forgive until you allow yourself to feel the brunt of the pain. Thank God I have finally been able to do that. I want you to understand how much you hurt me. You pursued her with compliments and flowers all the while coming home to a woman who you used to pay half the bills and take care of your family. 
You paraded her in front of my face. I didn't realize it at the time, but we went on a date with the two of you. <laughs> and your foolishly loyal friend Randy acted as her decoy boyfriend. For all the roads we had walked together by that point, the ups, the downs, the multiple job losses, the financial struggles, your insane ex-wife, I stood by your side. I wasn't perfect, and I'm sure I hurt you too, but I didn't deserve infidelity. I deserved honor and protection, love, respect, and fidelity. Your actions had consequences in my life and the kids. Your actions coupled with my willingness to believe the lie that you robbed me of the best years of my life cost me more than I can probably comprehend. That belief and past traumas drove me to incredibly distrust men. Up until recently, my tough girl wall was nearly impenetrable. Inside that wall stood a sad and frightened little girl. It made me doubt that marriage could ever be successful. It drove me to flee from a few kind and godly men, probably due to the subconscious belief that they would eventually reject me too. June 5th, 2018 was a bittersweet turning point for me. I was no longer going to let that lie reign in my life anymore. I was not going to let you have that kind of immense power over my future. On that day, I reclaimed my freedom from toxic beliefs and behavior patterns. I got into my vehicle and I drove a mile and a half down the road to our old apartment I pulled into our farmer parking spot. The car idled in front of the door that used to hold our story. I stared at the numbers on the door, 6914. And as I placed my head against the car seat, I closed my eyes and the silence was deafening. I allowed the many thoughts to quietly wash over me, first like a gentle ocean wave. Then, like a crashing tsunami, warm tears rolled down my face as the memories began to play across my mind like a movie screen. Thoughts of family movie night, the way the kids love Sunday morning breakfast, their excited, radiant smiles on Christmas morning, and the way they drove us crazy when they would get into disagreements. Sand castles and broken fingers, favorite birthday meals, and hurricane parking lot parties. All of those moments were not a waste. Raising a family was sticky, joyful, and at times really painful. To change one part of that history would change the fabric of me. My identity is no longer derived from my sexuality or from the acceptance of a man. It's not the result of the size of my jeans or the look of my hair. My identity is wholly rooted in how the Lord sees me. I am the beloved daughter of the Most High King. The Lord has taught me I am not significant. On the contrary, I am celebrated. That's right, celebrated. 
Zephaniah 3.17 reads, The Lord your God in the midst of you, he is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will rest in his love. He will joy over you with singing. The same God who created the rugged mountains and the deep blue oceans, the lush green valleys, the vast galaxies, looked at the world and thought, the world needed one of me too. I am his work of art, precious in his sight, his epic poem of creation. My whole life I have longed to be truly loved, and the God of the universe is delighted to sing over me. Wow, just wow. He makes me worthy. He makes me significant. I finally have the acceptance I have craved my entire life. I am a picture of God's masterful creativity, his redemption, restoration, healing, transformation, and his amazing grace. In one last discussion we had before you left, you said, you're in love with another man. You're in love with Jesus. I have to go. How can I not be madly in love with a God who has seen the depths of my depravity And yet, instead of running from me, he relentlessly pursued me. As he has shown me his glory through my suffering, I have fallen deeper in love with him. I forgive you for the hurt you caused me and the boys. Forgiveness doesn't excuse your behavior. I have been taught that unforgiveness is carrying the weight of someone else's offense. I have carried a lot of unnecessary weight over the years, And it is really heavy. I forgive you, Marco, because God, through Christ Jesus, has forgiven me of all my wickedness and rebellion. And through his blood and resurrection, he has washed me clean. The Bible reads, come now. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. See, God has already settled the matter. The massive gratitude I have for his astonishing grace, I can only extend outward to you and Maria. I pray one day you seek his forgiveness. His forgiveness, mercy, and salvation are available to all who repent and believe. He has a plan for you and your, and your wife, far better than you could ever imagine. I pray the best for you and her, that your life together is rich and full. And I pray you treat her with incredible love, protection, respect, and fidelity. May you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Your living water awaits you. Blessings, Deborah. Well, thank you for reading your letter. Yeah. Takes a lot of guts. Because that was, uh, as you said, that was never intended to go much of anywhere other than a filing uh, box in your closet. And here it is being broadcasted to our seven listeners. (laughs) Yes. So now, now that you've read it. Yeah. And and there there are some things, you know, the, the little bit of feedback that I've gotten about our podcast so far is people want to know more about who I am and more about who you are. And some things definitely came out in that letter. And 
you know, but as your, your current husband, you know, it, it's so amazing when you, when you read a Psalm of David, so much of his Psalms start with lamenting and, and so on and so forth. But it always comes back to hope or joy or something amazing that Christ is doing. And the most amazing part of that letter to me is that you end with, with the hope of salvation for your ex-husband and literally the woman that he ran off to have an affair with. Yeah. And I know for a fact, knowing you the way that I do, that if he came knocking on that door, on our front door, and you knew it was him, you would take a deep breath, say a quick prayer, the Italian in you would open the door, put food on the table, and you would tell him about how you forgave him and how Jesus changed your life, and he could have the same thing. Yes, I would. And and that's that's forgiveness. That is. It, it's forgiveness. That that's what forgiveness looks like. That's what processing forgiveness sounds like. And it's not clean. It's messy. It's vulnerable. It is. But yeah, it, it, it's so rewarding when you can get to the other side. And I'm, I'm very proud of you for that. So let me, let me ask you a few questions, if you don't mind. I don't mind. How, how, many, how many edits did you go through in this? And did, it rep- did each edit... Was it just more processing? Was it you reaching a different level of understanding forgiveness? What what did that that whole thing look like? Well, it's funny that this did not take a ton of edits. I really think the Holy Spirit helped me write that because by the time I got to this letter, I had written many letters. And the format of the letter is it's not all your fault. I have some responsibility to take. And I had processed that responsibility of my marriage ending in counseling. And I had talked through so much with people I loved and, and, you know, paid counselors too. So it didn't take as many edits as you might think because I had already had six years of processing through a lot of different things that needed to be forgiven. So I had kind of my legs already in water where I was practicing forgiveness in other areas of my life. And this letter, I sat down on that favorite brown chair that I have, and it just came out. Now, I did have to edit some of it because I wanted to make sure that there was enough responsibility for some of the things that I, how I perceived myself. I needed to own that. I needed to own that a lot of how I allowed him to treat me was because I truly didn't, I was so broken that I didn't think I was worthy of anything better. And I needed to own that. And so some of the edits had that, you know, like, okay, what else can I take a a sober look at and be responsible for? And what did I choose? If you notice, the letter had a lot of, I chose this. I chose to believe this lie. It's a lie. Here's the truth. Because if we don't acknowledge that we believe a lie, how are we ever going to get to the truth? I had to know that my identity wasn't wrapped up in him, and it wasn't wrapped up in my body or my sexuality or my appearance. Although my appearance is important to me, that doesn't make me who I am. 
And I had to own some of that stuff. And in, in how long ago did you write this, roughly? Uh, this was written in 2018. Okay, so we're five years removed from that. Now that you've just read it again, do you feel like you left anything out? Do you feel like you would change anything? I wouldn't change anything about this letter. You've just sort of closed that, closed that chapter. Yeah, I feel really um, at peace. And like you said, if he came to the house and he wanted to have a discussion about Jesus, he would get a great meal and he would be welcome. And we would talk about God. Yeah, I have no doubt. Knowing you, <laughs> I have absolutely no doubt on Thank all of you. it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Pasta would be served. Oh, absolutely. Lots of parm. Lots, lots. of lots of grated cheese and red pepper flakes and all that good stuff would be served with the pasta and we would sit down and have a talk about Jesus. And that's that's such a wonderful picture. You know, someone that that took so much from you that forgiveness, you're now on a level where you can give and you're not sitting there keeping score, trying to get even. Um, you, you know, you, you've, you've dropped that burden. You're not carrying that anymore. Right. And God will take care of whatever path he chooses. If he chooses forgiveness, God is going to be there to welcome him. And, you know, if he chooses the path to move toward Jesus, he's going to have a great eternity and if he chooses otherwise you know all those sins will need to be paid for by his own merit jesus can pay for all those sins for him if he wanted but either way god is going to allow michael to decide how he wants to do life well that is pretty much it for this episode i believe this was kind of uh, a, a lot of insight into you and a lot of rawness into you so i'm going to leave it to you is there anything you want to close with Anything that you, you wish we would have talked about that we didn't? Uh, anything that you just kind of want to leave with? Uh, I would probably encourage the audience one more time that even if you don't think you're a writer, there is something very cathartic about getting down to paper. And, and it could be real paper or it could be a keyboard, but really being able to process in this way and acknowledge the hurt and pain and acknowledge your part in the bigger picture of that hurt and pain and to explore the depths of hope that Jesus provides if you're a Christian. All of that in writing can really be some of the best therapy you'll ever get and you don't have to pay a counselor for that. All you need is your Bible, Jesus, and a piece of paper. It takes time and it's, again, messy but it's, it's a worthy journey. I, I wouldn't change one part of that story. Well, there you go. Free advice. <laughs> Take it for what it's worth. Yeah, for sure. But I can definitely uh, attest to, to Deb being able to live a life filled with joy. And, you know, you bring so much into this marriage that, that I just don't have, but I value so highly. So I appreciate you, uh, writing that letter and going through all that hard work long before we ever met Yeah. because uh, it, yeah, you've been a wonderful blessing to me and thank you. thank you guys for listening to episode number five of detours. Uh, we kind of preliminarily are talking through doing the single life. 
in our next episode, we've done a couple back-to-back heavier topic episodes, so it's time to poke fun at one another doing the single <laughs> life as a Christian because, yeah, there's plenty to say there on that topic. Oh, for sure. And we may even have a guest uh, a buddy of mine that might be coming in that works at Calvary Chapel who is currently single and uh, just what his single life looks like because, there, yeah, there's plenty to say there. Let's just leave <laughs> it at that. For sure. So uh, anyways, thank you guys for joining us for episode number five. We appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. We will see you in the next episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to Detours. For more content, you can find us on Spirit FM Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Play, or on our website at detours.life. To view my writings or to contact me for public speaking engagements, visit my website at debmarsalisi.com. Mm-hmm.